name's Ryan Fultz. I'm the director of high school ministries here. I love serving in that capacity, but I also love the opportunity to open God's word in this capacity um, on, on a Sunday morning together. Um, I'm grateful uh, for this series we've been working through, Thriving in Babylon. It's been a, an encouragement to me. I've sat with you guys for this series and have been encouraged from God's word. I've been challenged from God's word. And so now it feels a little bit like my turn to step in here and continue that, that theme. And we've been really answering or, or focusing on this one simple question. How would God have us live for him today? Like, that's been the question is, is uh, how would God have us live for him today amidst all the craziness in this world, amidst all the uncertainty and unrest, uh, amidst all the hardship, how would God have us live? Can we or is it possible for us not just to live, not just to survive, is it possible for us to thrive as God's people in our Babylon? And I think God gives us a resounding, simple, three-letter answer, which is yes. With God's help, we can thrive. As we continue reading the book today, what we will see is uh, more of the big theme of God ruling and reigning over all things. But then we will get to zero in on the disastrous effects of pride and arrogance. So let's go to God's word together to get us started. Daniel chapter 5. It is a long text, so you're going to have to bear with me. I want to read it all. And we're actually going to go back one verse into chapter 4 and read the last verse of chapter 4 to help us get our bearings with what is happening in our text for today. Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, and then all of chapter 5. This is God's word for us. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. I need to make a specific note here. Most of you in your copy of the Bible should have a footnote attached to the word father. You should see that. It's important. Uh, it would say that that word father, and when you see it again in 11 and 13 and 18, actually can also mean predecessor. What we actually know from studying his, the history and surrounding this is Nebuchadnezzar is, um, is not the father of Belshazzar. It doesn't make a huge difference for how we understand the text, but it's helpful to note. Uh, you'll see it in your footnotes. Um, Belshazzar is, uh, is a successor, of actually a few kings further on the line from Nebuchadnezzar. So just note that as we continue to read. Um, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple and the house of God in Jerusalem and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Immediately, 
The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, and then the king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, as you'll see, the queen mother, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your predecessor, your pre- the predecessor, the king, I can't read today, goodness, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, uh, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, I love this description, is the excellent spirit of knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this man, Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel. One of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah, I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because all the greatness that he gave them, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys he was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will and you his son or successor Belshazzar have not humbled your heart though you knew all of this. 
But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Even when we get some time to, to read large chunks of, his, chunks of your word like this, I am reminded that there is so much here that you would have us know and understand. Um, your word is, uh, is great in that it makes us focus on you and it helps us to see you as bigger than, than we can imagine. And Lord, would you give us that same picture today as we read and understand your word. Lord, help me, your, your servant, to, to do Uh, faithful ministry right now. Help me. Where I am weak, you are strong. Uh, Change us today as as we spend time in your word. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. If the transition from chapter four to chapter five seems a bit abrupt to you, well, it's because it is. It's because it is. In fact, what, what has happened is we've probably jumped well, well over 20 years kind of ahead from King Nebuchadnezzar. There have been multiple kings um, who have come and gone. A couple of them have been assassinated. And now we're faced with Belshazzar, um, the king of Babylon. But I know this and you know this. We're not here for a simple history lesson on the kingdoms of old. We're not here just to, just to hear, wow, that was interesting. He's the king, and then he died, and Babylon fell apart, and oh, that's interesting. That's not why we're here. God's word has truth to tell us about who God is, about who we are, and how we should respond in light of these great truths. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what are we supposed to learn from Daniel chapter 5? What can we learn from the fall of another mighty king? Well, in Daniel 5, God gives us a window to kind of watch and look through as God shatters pride. As God shatters the proud. And we need to take note and look to what God considers important, what God considers blasphemous, and if there's any response that we should have today. So in Daniel 5, I think there are three specific 
um, responses that we should have as we sit under the teaching of Daniel chapter 5. As we look at the fall of Belshazzar, the first one is this, that you must repent of your pride or it will destroy you. You must repent of your pride or it will destroy you. At the heart of our text for today is another arrogant, self-absorbed king of Babylon. We know because we read all of chapter 5 that we get to the end and he never repents. We don't have this great moment like maybe what we see in chapter 4 with Nebuchadnezzar where he comes to this point of, you are the God of the heavens. I, 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 I have missed this. You don't, we don't get to that. Here. We never find him saying, like his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. His pride, his arrogance, and his self worship leads him to do some very foolish things. These things ultimately bring upon him the judgment of God. First, Belshazzar's pride leads him to party rather than to prepare. Party rather than prepare. In verses 1 through 4, we see this detailed party where he calls a thousand lords and his wives and concubines to come and drink and be merry. Now, this was not uncommon with the people of Babylon. These parties were regular, so it's not the presence of the party that communicates the pride. It's actually the particulars of the party that communicate the pride. The first one, while historians don't agree, they don't all agree on exactly how Babylon fell. What we do know is the kingdom of Babylon was under attack from Persia. And if, if, Dan, or sorry, if Belshazzar was killed that very night, what most likely that means is they were invaded that very night. So what that means is he is most likely partying while a host of enemies lies outside his door. Like, what kind of king calls a party when he looks out over his walls and see an enemy host sitting there? What kind of king wouldn't check in on his walls and make sure his, his troops are where they need to be and, and, and prepare for uh, inevitable war or at least make sure if they're under siege, everything's taken care of? What kind of king parties while a host is outside his door. I'll tell you, the kind of king that does that is an arrogant, self-absorbed king who trusts his fortress. He is his God, and he thinks he's untouchable. When you look at what people say about the city of Babylon, it was a big fortress. They had plenty of room for stores, and they had a river running through that could provide water. Um, the king trusted that he was fine. He didn't need to be worried. But not only did Belshazzar just party while a, king, while a host waited outside his door, in his arrogance and poor judgment, he brought out vessels that were captured from the temple in Jerusalem. And this was a severe dishonor to the God we know and love. Now, I do think it's hard for us to understand, like, why is this such a big deal? Like, we take these communion cups and throw them in the trash when we're done. Like, so 
trying to understand like why would it matter that these vessels, these things were pulled out from the temple of Jerusalem and why would it matter that they decide to drink from them? Well, to help you understand that, I want to read from an author named Christopher Wright. This is not in your bulletin, so just listen to how he explains the severity of this blasphemy. So we need to understand that Belshazzar's blasphemy was not just that he showed some minor disrespect for a few sacred objects of another people's religion, like the thoughtlessness of a tourist who forgets to remove his shoes in a holy place of some foreign religion. This was rather a calculated and intentional mockery of what those vessels represented, namely the God of Israel. The God of that wretched ethnic minority who were still labeled the kings of Judah. That's how, um, that's how he talks to Daniel later. Uh, the God who in Belshazzar's eyes was defeated more than a generation ago and who was certainly powerless to do anything about a spot of teasing and taunting by a reveling young party set. What, <laughs> what Belshazzar was ultimately doing is he's saying, oh God of Israel, whoever you are, I'm bigger than you. We have conquered you. You have nothing to offer us. It said, while they drank, verse four actually says, while they drank, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Instead of preparing the city for war, considering his own eternity with an enemy sitting at his door, he partied, he played, and he praised false gods. In his heart, Belshazzar was saying, I am greater than you, God. Daniel explains this later in verse 23 where he says, you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. How do we know this was really a big deal? Well, verse five says immediately something happened. Immediately. Look at verse 5 with me. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. It says the king saw his hand and he was terrified. So not only did he party instead of prepare, but uh, when, when God showed up, it did not move him towards faith and repentance. It, it, it caused him to be terrified. He, he feared instead of having faith. Verse 6 explains a little bit more of what happens. It says the king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. Um, the original language would sound like this. The joints of his loins were loosened. Things stopped working. He was so terrified. And I just want to take a second and, and throw Belshazzar a little bit of a bone here. Like if you all looked at that wall and there was a hand that suddenly started writing on it, we would all pee our pants you realize that, right? Like we absolutely would pee our pants if all of a sudden there's words just being written by, an, by a, uh, just a hand on that wall. So let's just give him a little bit of, a, uh, of the benefit of the doubt here. But pride often leads us right into fear. Because here's what happened. In this moment, I think Belshazzar is realizing, oh man, maybe I'm not in control. I have always thought I was. I am this, I'm the king of Babylon. But what in the world is that? 
when we are proud and arrogant, when we start to lose, when we start to lose um, what we think we have control over, we often respond in fear. We often respond with that same fear. But it doesn't stop there. He had an opportunity to turn in faith, and he could have repented then, but he didn't. Daniel then comes and explains what happens. We'll get to that here in a little bit later. But ultimately, Belshazzar then turns to trust in his riches rather than to repent. If you see in verse 29, Daniel has come and explained everything. He's pronounced judgment on his kingdom. He says, it will end. In verse 29, <laughs> Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple and chain of gold, was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. I think in this moment, Belshazzar thought, the only way I can be safe is if I placate God, and I'm going to give his servant some good stuff and hope that helps. There's another response he could have done right there. He could have fell on his knees and begged God for mercy, but he didn't. He rewarded God's servant, hoping that he could push back that prophecy, hoping that it would not be true. Belshazzar chose to party instead of prepare. He gave in to fear instead of having faith, and he trusted his riches and what he had rather than turning in repentance to the God of the universe. His pride and unrepentance brought about the judgment of God, reminding us once again the theme of Daniel is that God rules and reigns over history. It is God who rules and reigns over, over all of life. Author and pastor Brian Chappell summarized it so well when he said, There is no human wall so high, no human accomplishment so great, that it is secure against the judgment of God. God will bring every deed into judgment, no matter how great the man, how hidden the means, how long the practice has continued, God ultimately will prevail. So what does this mean for us, you might be thinking right now? Like, Ryan, I've, I've never done that. I've never had an army outside my front door and just decided to hold a party and drink. I've never grabbed an artifact from the temple and drank wine out of it, Ryan. So how does that apply to me? Well, brother and sister in Christ, I think we find here in Daniel chapter 5 a warning for you. A warning. About how God takes pride how God takes false worship very seriously. He immediately showed up in this moment. God had decided this was enough. Friends, we need to repent of our pride and our arrogance. If there's any places in our life where we are setting ourselves up and against God, we need to go to our knees rather than parties. Like we need to get on our knees and repent and ask the Lord for help. We don't want to set ourselves up against the God of the universe. A high view of yourself will take you down many dark paths. Your pride will spew shrapnel at the people around you and it blinds you to your own sin. 
While there may be no literal armies encamped outside your door, we are all engaged in a very real war against sin and spiritual forces that Ephesians 6 talks about. And our pride blinds us to this fight. Instead of placing our energy and effort and time into readying ourselves for battle, do we spend most of our time partying, maybe even playing with our own sin? Your pride, my pride, will do the same thing as Belshazzar's if you are not careful to repent. He was ultimately caught up with a worship of himself. Belshazzar was the greatest being in his own mind. He had decided in his heart that he was the most important thing in the universe. So let me ask you this question this morning. What are you worshiping? Like what, what are you worshiping? We ask these questions regularly in our church family. What are you willing to sin to get? Or what do you, when you start to lose something, what do you, do you sin to try to keep it? What are you worshiping? I'm not talking about bowing down on your knees and, and like just, just, just singing songs to something. But I'm asking you, what do you love more than Jesus, pursue more than Jesus? What takes that primary role in your heart sometimes? And we need to confess it and repent it and ask, repent of it and ask God for help because our pride blinds us to it. Is it stuff? Like stuff in this world? A car, a house? Is it what's in my bank account? Because once I have enough in my bank account, I feel like I'm in control. Is it respect? Do we sin when we feel disrespected? Is it control? Do we just want to be in control of all of these situations and when we start to feel control leaving us, do we respond like, Belshazzar in fear and in sin. When we love and pursue anything more than Jesus, we are placing ourselves on the throne as God. And just like Belshazzar, we have lifted ourselves up against the God of the heaven. Friends, when, if you're a Christian in here and, and when we catch sight of pride in our life, we need to hit our knees. We don't play with it. Don't mess around with it. We hit our knees and ask God to help us grow. We must ask Jesus to help us love him more than anything in this world, to help us be humble and to have a right view of ourself. Humility, humility is not a wallowing view of self. Humility is a right view of ourself next to a perfect and holy view of God. It's not wallowing in like, oh, I'm humble, I'm awful. It's I know who I am because I know who God is. It's a right view of ourself when we see who God is. So I think the first thing we need to recognize from this text is we need to, we need to repent of our pride before it destroys us. We need to repent of our pride before it destroys us. But the second thing I want you to see is that you need to remember God's character to keep yourself humble. You need to remember God's character to keep yourself humble. Not only could the king, Belshazzar, not understand the words on the wall, but his own uh, wise people could not. So the queen mother um, 
Most likely, that means um, not Belshazzar's, Belshazzar's wife, but uh, the queen mother reminds Belshazzar, hey, there's this dude named Daniel. I mean, years ago, he did some really cool things. He was really smart, really wise. It might be good to go talk to him. So he did. He, he calls him. Uh, and one of the things that struck me is Daniel could have went straight to the wall, read out the judgment, walk, like wiped his hands, and walked right out of the room. But he actually spent some time kind of preaching to Belshazzar, preaching to the king. Before he interprets the text on the wall, he wanted to be very clear that Belshazzar learned some things. The first thing he wanted Belshazzar to see is that it is God who gives power. God gives power. Look at verses 18 through 19, and you'll read some of these words. Um, it starts with, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, and then all of these things, kingship, greatness, glory, majesty. The greatness that he described caused, caused peoples and other nations to tremble. That was the greatness that God gave Nebuchadnezzar. But then he also wanted Belshazzar to realize not only does God give power, but God can take power. So that's what you see in verses 20 to 21, uh, that when his heart was hardened, he made him like a beast, eating and drinking like an ox until, and this may be my favorite part of this text, until he knew that God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he wills. Has this not been the continued theme in the book of Daniel? Whatever ruler rules the kingdom of man doesn't really rule the kingdom of man. God is the one who rules and reigns. He places power and takes power. He puts people in, in leadership roles and yanks them out. When he wanted the kingdom of Babylon to crumble, he made it happen. Throughout all of history, there's only one common theme throughout all the kingdoms that rise and fall, and it is God decided they were done. And that is, that is good news for you and me. Because I know God is good. I know he is right. I know I can trust him. So even when things don't make sense, I can say, God, somehow this is your plan. Help me to trust that. God gives power. God takes power. There's nobody in power anywhere in the world that is there without God's direction, without God's placing. Some of you might be saying, you know, didn't Belshazzar kind of get the, the bad end of the deal? How would he have known that if he was three or four kings removed? Well, Daniel says in verse 22, and you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Apparently, he knew. He knew. And this was how he responded. Daniel continues in this text, verses 22 through 24. You lifted yourself up against God. You worshiped other gods, little g gods, with my stuff, God's stuff, even though those gods aren't real. And then he says in verse the end, at the very end of verse 22, or 23, excuse me. But the God in whose hand is your breath 
and whose are all your ways you have not honored. He's being very clear with the king of Babylon. You are where you are because God placed you. I can take power from you. I hold your breath and your ways, and you still do not honor me. So how does this apply to us today? You want to you live out your faith? Do you want to thrive right now in the midst of wickedness and hardship? Remember regularly, God is in control. Remember his character, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his wisdom. Push yourself to think about those things. We are quick to forget. And that's why we must be quick to go to God's word every day to remember. Now I realize, you know, if you're in our church family, you hear Brad regularly and often tell you to read God's word and and to not miss a day. And I'm so glad we are a part of a church that says that. But how many times when that's said, do we turn our brain off for a second? Yeah, I know I need to. I know, I know. I know I should. Friends, you have no hope at having hope without reminding yourself who God is. You realize this book right here, the Bible, is not actually about you. You are not the hero. This is all about God. And when you go to God's word regularly and often, it informs you. It changes how you think. It changes how you live because it focuses your mind on the God who rules and reigns. It gives you hope when you're discouraged. Uh, It gives you help when you need to change. It puts your focus on a great God, and we must Remember who he is. One of the things that I've been learning really in the last couple of months and I've just become convinced of is in God's people, the ultimate enemy of faith is forgetfulness. The ultimate enemy of faith is forgetfulness. It's not fear. It's not doubt. We fight for more faith by remembering who God is and what he's done. So if you want to grow in faith, if you want to keep humble, if you want to fight sin, we must fuel our hearts and minds with that which reminds us of God's greatness, and that is his word. I was at a conference this past, uh, this past week and got to hear Piper talk about 20, or sorry, it was six things he wished, how did he say it? Six things he would go back and do at the age of 22. Um, There's a number of things that were really good, but one of them was just talking about how um, every day he would read God's word. He he would, if he, he said it this way, if you only have time for breakfast, don't eat. Read the Bible. I mean, that's pretty serious, um, especially if you love breakfast. (laughs) But he wants you to feel the seriousness of, of how badly you need God's word Breakfast won't sink you, but you could potentially have serious problems if you will not return to God's word to think rightly about the world and about who he is. So if you see an army camped outside your door, whether it's sin, health complication, a family member not walking with the Lord, a financial crisis, whatever it is, force yourself to remember who God is what he's done, and remember he will never leave you or forsake you. 
Now, I need to take just a couple of quick minutes, and I need to speak specifically to people who are in places of power and influence. Now, there's a wide range of who that could apply to. It could be parents. We have, God has given us the uh, 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 power and influence over our kids as we raise them. It could be in the workplace. Maybe you're an employer or you're like a manager or a team leader and you have power and influence over people. It could be po- politicians. I know we have people in our church family that are involved in politics. Um, students, if you're in here, middle school and high school students, if there's any place in your life where you've been given a role of leadership and influence and power, this applies to you. You must Remember that any bit of power and influence you have is God-given. Any bit of it. Do not fall into the trap of thinking you have earned it or received it because of your intelligence or hard work. You were placed in your role, whatever that is, by God and he can easily take it from you. May it never be said of our people that we have placed ourselves up against the God of the heavens. I hope and pray that you will recognize your power and influence from political leaders all the way to the top to whatever small roles of power and influence you, li- you have, I pray that you will realize it is from God. He can take it from you. And you are called to lead with wisdom, humility, and integrity for the kingdom of God. Remember what King Nebuchadnezzar said in chapter 4? After he was humbled... The very end, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Remember the character of God to keep yourself humble. Repent of your pride before it destroys you, before it takes you down some very deep, dark, dangerous paths. But then there's one more thing I think particularly we as the people of God are to do. And quite simply, you need to relax. (laughs) You need to relax because God will always vindicate his name. You're saying, Ryan, relax. Have you looked around at all at this world we live in? Yeah. Have you watched any of the news? Not much, but enough. Enough to know we are in a mess. Our world is in a mess. But we absolutely must relax because Daniel chapter 5 is an ultimate reminder that God is in control. Belshazzar could do nothing to push off the judgment of God. I don't care whatever political leader you want to talk about, whatever kind of powerful influence in this world you want to talk about, I don't care which one it is, I will tell you the same thing, God rules and reigns over him or her. That's why I relax. That's why I take a moment to remember God is in control and that gives me hope for the future. It gives me hope for today. 
and we can relax. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything. I'm not telling you to be passive and do nothing. I'm just saying inside the heart of a believer should be a confident hope in Jesus that he rules and reigns. So yes, vote. Yes, talk with politicians about, uh, about new legislature. Yes, try to work, make your workplace better. Yes, grow as a parent so you're not exhibiting um, pride and you're leading and loving your kids with humility. Yes, all of those things. But inside, let's relax. Because God rules and reigns. We need to have that confident hope inside us because we know the truth of God's word. So here in this text... God vindicated his name by humbling Belshazzar. God decided Babylon is done. As Daniel moved to interpret the writing, he first makes a point so that Belshazzar is entirely clear where this message came from. Look at verse 24. He said, then from his, that's God, from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was was inscribed. So he is saying, this message I'm about to interpret you, uh, interpret for you, comes from the God of the universe. This God you've made light of, this God you've set yourself up against, this is where this message comes from. And in verse 26, well, actually in verse 25 and following, he explains the message of God. Mene, your days are numbered and kingdom is done. Tekel, you've been weighed on the balance and found wanting. And Parson, kingdom divided among the Medes and the Persians. And then in verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar was killed. He brought a humbling. He brought vindication for his name on a person who spent his life defaming the God of the universe. Now, God's timing is always right. So, this does not mean that in this life, God will deal with every single person and remove them from power when they are arrogant and proud and setting themselves up against God. And if you're hoping he does... (laughs) Let's be slow to dispense the judgment of God. Because if you're here and you're a believer, you've gotten to taste and see the Lord is good only because he worked in your life and gave you faith, opened your blind eyes, unstopped your deaf ears. So let's be careful to dispense the judgment of God or pretend like we can. So God's timing is always right. He's not promised to humble every proud person immediately. So no matter who comes to your mind about who you wish was humbled, we wait on the Lord. God is working all things together for his glory. There's another glorious moment in scripture where God pressed in and vindicated his name. And it is at the cross. You realize that when Jesus died on the cross providing grace for us, we get grace because judgment was poured out on him for our sin. That was God vindicating his name against rebels like you and me. For us to have grace, judgment needed to be dispensed because our sin had stored up the wrath of God for us. 
So he sent his son Jesus into the world, lived perfectly, he died on the cross and rose again and at that moment uh, on the cross when he bore our judgment, God was vindicating his name. It was for his glory, for his name. Yet it was the beautiful spot where judgment and love so perfectly mingle. God poured out his wrath at the cross, but he also dispensed his grace through the cross. Brian Chapel explains it like this, again in his book on Daniel. Mene Tekel Perez is not ultimately the handwriting against Belshazzar. It is the handwriting of God for us. By his hand, God warns us of our sin. On the cross of Jesus, we see that handwriting in its boldest and brightest strokes, for there the script is written in the blood of God's own son. And listen to this last sentence. God warns us of his judgment so that we will seek the son who already assumed it. So, friend, if you're in here today and you would say, I am not a believer. You would say, Ryan, I've never repented and trusted Jesus for salvation. I don't, I don't know that I believe all this. Can I speak to you for just a moment? Uh, Daniel chapter 5 is a warning for you. And I say this because I love you and I want good things for you. It is a warning for you. It, it shows you what a life looks like without repentance. It shows you what a life looks like without ever trusting Jesus for salvation. It is a warning. And in fact, the cross is both a warning for you, but it also offers a welcome. It offers offers a welcome. All over scripture we see, friend, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus came to earth willingly and died on the cross and rose again and you, you can have hope and forgiveness and eternity with God. It is available for you if you will trust Jesus, if you'll repent of your sin and trust Jesus. If you don't know what that looks like or want to talk more about that, feel free to talk with me or with somebody that you came with or maybe just turn to the person next to you after the service and ask them some questions. But Daniel 5 is a warning, and the worst thing I want, let me say this differently, um, the worst thing that could happen is if you heard from my message, I can relax without knowing Jesus. Do not relax. Figure out who this person Jesus is. He has great hope for you. D.A. Carson said, if you want to see what judgment looks like, go to the cross. And if you want to see what love looks like, go to the cross. That's where judgment and love so perfectly meet. But then Christians, let me speak to you for a moment. We're going to land here. One of the greatest reasons that you can relax is because you know that God will ultimately vindicate his name when Jesus returns. That there is a day coming when Jesus will return and deal uh, finally and fully with every bit of dishonor, every bit of sin, and we will be with him forever. You can relax. You don't have to fear any political system or leader. You should never hope in anything you own or whatever little fortress kingdom you decide to build. Do not hope in these things. They will let you down, but you can relax because Jesus is returning. He bought you at the cross and he's coming back to take you home one day. 
we can relax because we trust Revelation 19. Would you turn there as we finish? Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and following. When I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and his head are many diadems. And he is a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in the fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is coming. He will vindicate his name. There will be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more sin, no more crying for those of us who are found in Jesus. So brother and sister in Christ, you can relax and trust that God will vindicate his name whenever he sees fit. He steps into history, well, he rules over history. There are moments where we can see it clearly, and there's moments where we don't, but he will bring vindication to his name whenever he wants to, and there's a day coming where we'll all be finished. Belshazzar did not remember. He did not repent, and he had no opportunity to relax because he did not have faith in God. He did not honor God. We can, as brothers and sisters in Christ, trust and hope and relax for he is good let me pray lord i'm so thankful for your word that reminds me that i can truly relax because the cross was purchased on my behalf by you not by me and that i look forward to a day where you will return lord change our hearts today to love you more deeply to repent of our pride Lord, I pray that you would save people even here today who do not know you, that they might relax and trust in your sovereign will. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray all of these things.